You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Okay, so it was uh, a number of years ago now, I was uh, taking Lively, who's our oldest daughter, to school. It was like first grade or something. And I roll up and I'm walking her to her classroom. And uh, you know, they're just still at that age where like, if the teacher actually wants to get information to the home, it's gotta come really directly to the parent, not through the kids. So I'm dropping off Lively. And the teacher, before I, I walk away, says, hey dad. So yeah, she goes, uh, hey, I, I just want you to remember that that this Thursday, it's bring your favorite sports jersey to school day. Uh, so make sure that she files that away and, and brings her jersey and uh, uh, will be great. And I'll never forget what happens next. My daughter, who overheard her say this, looks up at me and in front of the teacher in the class goes, Dad, what is sport? <laughs> Not sports, sport. Like she didn't even know that's a category of things people do. It was at this moment that I knew that my, the athletic future of my children is zero percent. There's just never, that's never gonna happen. It, last year, the Super Bowl by some miracle was on at our house and my son, Ben, is just like all about it, man. He taught me how to throw a spiral football. That's a true story. And he's just, he's losing his mind. This is the most amazing thing I ever saw. And the next day he comes to me and he says, uh, he goes, Dad, can we watch that football movie again? <laughs> he didn't even know there's games. There's games. They like play. There's just, no, there's just no shot in the world that my kid, it will be definitely in spite of me if my kids ever do anything athletically with their bodies in the future. It's just not going to happen. But, and, and why? It's because it's not in our ecosystem, man. It's just not, we're just watching the Tony Awards and we're just, just be, I mean, we're, who, who are we? I don't know. Pray for me. But we're just not in that world at all. It's, I'm not talking about it. It's not on the screen. They don't see it. And if you don't see it, you won't do it, right? If you don't see it, it's just not gonna happen. You won't do it. Now, but think about somebody like uh, the Williams sisters now, right? Serena and Venus, right? Now, now, granted, like they're just athletic, just marvels in and of themselves. But how did they get where they got? If you, if you saw the movie uh, King Richard, you know it, it was so much a part of the ecosystem of that household. Their dad was a professional tennis coach, right? I mean, that's what he did. And so they, they were talking tennis. They were playing tennis. They were seeing him do tennis. It was just in their world. And so it's like no wonder why they went to what they went to. There's just such a better chance, even if they weren't athletic, that they would have that as sort of like the direction their life heads versus what my kids will inevitably be, which is singer-songwriters. Uh, and the difference is this. They see it. And if you see it, you'll probably do it. If you don't see it, you won't do it. Now, I'm saying all that for this reason. Uh, God seems to be up to something uh, lately in our church. We, we've been talking about it past, the past couple months. Uh, but uh, as you know, um, some of our crew from uh, our student ministry went to Well Week and, and like uh, over 100 kids got saved at Well Week. And like, we're, we're, we're like looking at this body of people who just came to Christ and we're going, man, God is like up to something. That's uncommon numbers for any church. And we're seeing lots of baptisms taking place, not just in Well Week, but outside of that. And, and you, we've had baptism services recently. We're gonna have them on the other side of this sermon. It's just, it's interrupted our, our uh, the very sermon series we were planning for the fall. We're like, we had too many people to baptize. So we gotta change some stuff up. That's what we're doing. Now, that's a great problem to have, 
right? Uh, praise God for that. That's amazing. But it definitely gets me thinking, gets us thinking about what God might be doing uh, in our church and what he might be wanting to us to emphasize in terms of evangelism, living on mission, that sort of thing. And here's the reality. Things like this don't happen by magic. People don't just wake up one day and think, I want to follow Jesus. These happen because, it, because people open their mouths and they tell other people about the Savior. That's how people get saved, by and large. And uh, the problem with that is what all the data seems to be showing us is fewer and fewer Christians are taking that call seriously. So like uh, Barna did a study recently uh, in 2018, and they measured uh, uh, the response to this comment that it is the responsibility of every Christian to share their faith. That's the comment. In 1993, 89% of American Christians said, yes, we affirm that to be true, that it is the responsibility of every Christian to share their faith, which feels to me like such a duh statement. But in 2018, when they, they asked that same question, here's what they discovered. It was, the number was now 64% of Christians. That's a 25% drop since the 90s of people who would say, yes, if you're a Christian, it is your responsibility to share your faith with people. So there's this rapid decline happening. Now, there's lots of reasons for why that takes place, and we can talk about, but I think one of the leading one, ones is just we don't see it as much. We just don't see, it's just not part of American life as much. And if you don't see it, you just won't do it. We, we need models of, of how to bring the gospel to bear in a conversation. It, and when you don't see it, you just get weird about it. Like, how am I supposed to broach Jesus in a conversation? Like, do I have to be like awkward, bullhorn, street preacher guys? Like, is that the way to do it? We just don't, we need more models to see because if you don't see it, you won't do it. And, and so we need to see it more. I bumped into a guy this week while I was prepping the sermon at uh, Barnes and Noble. His name was George, Mr. George, 79-year-old guy, sweet guy. He introduced himself to me by asking if I was on TikTok, which I was like, are you on TikTok? I'm like, what? Why are, why are you asking me this? Uh, uh, but really sweet guy, and he just comes to Barnes and Noble like every day, every other day, and he just sits and waits to talk to people, and then he just tells them about Jesus. That's why he's there. And, and he was, it was so awesome. He was like, I call this my Barnes and Noble church. I'm like, why? He's like, because I led four people to Christ right here in this lobby. I was like, oh my gosh, can we be friends? That's amazing. I mean, think about Think about hanging out with Mr. George. Think about doing life with him. How would that change you? I guarantee you, you would be talking about Jesus to people more often, right? I mean, it's just inevitable that that, that would happen. I, I know for me, there was a big shift that happened in college. I was uh, in college, wasn't sharing my faith hardly with anybody, and I bumped into a guy at the gym named Ryan, and uh, Ryan and I got to be close friends, and he was just an evangelism monster, man. Everywhere he went, he was talking to people about Jesus, and I got to watch him do it. And I, and I discovered, oh, it's not as awkward of transition and conversation as I thought it was, and it felt very natural. And what happened was, uh, it became less and less weird to me, and so I, I inclined myself to it more and more. I found myself sharing the gospel more and more. It's because I was in proximity to a person who was modeling it. You see, if we see it, we'll do it. That's just the pattern of life. Now, I want us to see it today. If this is something God might be doing in our church, wanting to call us into more missional living, let's, let's watch 
people do it so that we can live on mission better. And the way we're gonna watch this model today is in the life of a person named Philip. Now Philip uh, was a church member in the church in Jerusalem in that first century period. He was a deacon in the church, he served, he was just a church man, he was a faithful, godly man who was serving at the church in Jerusalem. And what we're gonna see in Philip today are some perspectives and some behaviors that if we can internalize them, walk in them, uh, obey them, it's gonna help us to live on mission as well. And we're, Philip's life is gonna show us four things. We're gonna see four things here. We're gonna see the aims of the mission, the intimacy of the mission, the message of the mission, and the master of the mission. Aims, intimacy, message, master. So that's, that's where we're going. If you got your Bible, get it out. We're gonna be in Acts chapter eight. And as you're turning there, one of the first things that we're gonna see is the aims of the mission have to change if we're gonna be effective for Christ with the gospel. There's a couple things we need a new perspective on if we wanna live missionally. And the first one is this. We need to aim at obedience, not impact. We're aiming at obedience, not impact. Let me uh, unpack what that means. Verse 26 says this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Now at first glance, uh, that's going to seem like a very ordinary set of instructions and directions. Uh, this angel of the Lord is talking to Philip and he says, hey, I want you to get up. I want you to leave this place. I want you to go to uh, the road that heads from Jerusalem to Gaza. And he says, it's, it's a desert. That's, it, those are the directions. But actually, what I think we're seeing here is, in my opinion at least, one of maybe the top five most difficult commands the Lord ever gave a person in the New Testament. I think that's what we're seeing here. And the way I can prove that is by showing you the context in which this happens. What's happening right before this will inform the punch that verse 26 is. So let me give you some context. Acts chapter seven ends with the death uh, in the martyrdom of Stephen. He's the first Christian martyr in the New Testament. He was stoned to death for preaching about Jesus. He dies in Acts chapter seven, and Acts eight opens with the heat being turned way up on the Christian church. A persecution rose in that day against the Christian church such that it made the, the Christians in Jerusalem scatter out from Jerusalem. It's called the diaspora, right? The, the, the dispersion. They're leaving Jerusalem and they're going, all these Christians now are going to the surrounding towns and villages and, and cities. And uh, the text says that uh, one of the crew of Christians that gets dispersed in that moment was our guy Philip. And he headed down to Samaria, it says, to preach the gospel. And when he gets there, the place goes bananas. It's crazy. Uh, verse five, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs that he did for unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. I mean, did you just see what 
I saw in that time. I mean, it is full on like Billy Graham, Acts chapter two, like just great awakening stuff. Crowds are losing their mind. They're flocking to Philip to hear the message about Jesus. Like the whole town is coming to him. Like demons are obeying his command. They're like flying out. It's like poltergeist in there. It's just the craziest thing. God is doing something in Samaria at this moment. This is huge. If you were Philip, you'd be losing your mind. You'd be taking selfies with guys who got their arms just grew back. He's like, this guy didn't have an arm five minutes ago. I mean, that, it would have been the most amazing sight. And it's in the middle of that revival, really, in Samaria that this happens. God, God rolls up at the voice of an angel and, and he goes, okay, it's time to move. In the middle of that revival, God says, time to go, Philip. We're going to a desert road. Let's go. That feels, does that not feel crazy to you? That feels crazy. If, if I'm Philip's PR guy, I'm going, buddy, this is it, man. This is what we've been dreaming about. You know, you're writing in your journal about like what you wanted to see God do. This is it. This is what we want. We want demons leaving people. We want people following Jesus. We want arms growing back. That's the kind of stuff we want. And Philip says, no, I'm going I'm to go. I'm going to go. And we don't have a category for that. That's so baffling to us. It's so, it doesn't make sense. And here's why, because if we are honest, I think that we think that ministry and living missionally is mainly about me doing great things for God. That's what it's mainly about. And can I tell you something? It's not. It's not. It's about you following Jesus wherever he would lead you and letting him concern himself with where the great things take place. Let me say this uh, again. It is not important for you to do great things for God. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need you. He's, he's the almighty. He's unimpressed with what you're bringing to the table. You, he, he, he doesn't need you to cause a stir in Samaria. He could do that right now. It's not a big deal for him. He doesn't need you. Our mission is not impact, according to this text. It's obedience. It's following him where he wants to go. I, I remember a great visual of this in my life was uh, uh, getting a phone call about a decade ago from my buddy Tripp. Now, you know Tripp. Tripp's preached here a number of times. He preached a couple months ago. Uh, if you don't know who Trip Lee is, Trip is a hip-hop artist. Uh, he's an author. He's a speaker. He's incredibly gifted, incredibly successful, has toured the world, topped billboard charts, stellar awards, Dove awards. And one time I was, went to my mailbox. He's on the cover of a magazine. I'm like, you're everywhere. Uh, Trip calls me a, a decade ago, and, uh, and he goes, hey, I, ha I need some advice. I, uh, I'm feeling like the Lord might want me to start pastoring. And uh, in the, he's in the middle of like a major U.S. tour. I mean, like thousands and thousands of people there. It's every artist's dream. It's every Christian artist's dream. I get to be in front of just thousands of people telling them about Jesus. But I had this sense, he said, that, that God's calling me to the ministry. And I just want to know if you think that's wise or not. And I was like, <laughs> I don't see what the devil gains in you leaving that to go be a pastor. So get at it, buddy. And, uh, and he did for the next decade, uh, trip pastored a number of churches uh, around the country and, and just served local 
uh, ministries and, and just went from like this whole thing to this right here. And it was so uncool and so unsexy and so uh, uh, seemingly unimpactful. But it was him following Jesus where Jesus was leading. And it's because he realized something. He realized that it's not about impact, it's obedience. God can figure out the impact thing. I just need to follow God where he's sending me. The same thing uh, was true with my friend Ryan, that guy who uh, shared the gospel a lot when we were in college. When he graduated college, you know what he did? He got on a plane with his wife and they flew to East Asia where they became a missionary to an unreached people group there for 15 years. He just got back last month. 15 years. And the world here forgot him and, and all his American prospects kind of faded away and the work was hard and he had to learn a new language and he had to engage with a new people group and the fruit was very slow and it was just, it was, it was a hard 15 years. It was good, but it was hard, but it was not sexy. It was not cool and the impact on paper seemed really low, but he realized it's more important for me to obey God than to chase impact. And that's not what we think like as Americans, is it? It's always a numbers game for us, but that's not how it is in the economy of God. Our mission isn't impact, it's obedience. I feel this so deeply on behalf of parents. I feel this so deeply on behalf of American moms. Can I tell you what I mean? Like, I feel like if you're a mom in, in the States, like the, the message from our culture is like, grow that platform, girl. Right? Get on, get on the blog, get on the blog, get your Instagram blowing up, do the, do the great thing that's out there. There's all these millions of people that need to hear about Jesus, you just do it over there. Meanwhile, there's two or three kids sitting at your dinner table who are just waiting for you to disciple them and develop them and grow them into maturity in Christ. And that looks so dull compared to all this. Look, I get it, we, me and Kelly we have public ministry stuff, we, we get it, but what I'm saying is, this thing that looks so um, small and parochial and unsexy and cool is everything. So what God's called us to, to raise up and, and to develop the next generation. You have 18 years to disciple this child. What a beautiful gift it is. But man, our culture is saying anything but that. that. That is abhorrent to us, but not to the church. We need to change our perspective on this. Maybe for you, uh, it's not any of that. Maybe for you, you, you've been faithful to share the gospel with lots of people over the years, but you've just never seen the fruit, man. Anybody feel like that? You're like, I've, I've talked to lots of people about Jesus, but I'm just not seeing the needle move. Nobody, no one's coming to Christ. And I just feel like I'm just hitting a wall constantly. Can I just tell you something? That's not failure. That's faithfulness. You're being faithful. You don't get to decide who gets saved. That's God's work. Your job is to obey him, to open your mouth with the hope of the gospel. And so if you feel discouraged, like I'm trying to be faithful or live on mission, but it's just not happening for me. I just want you to hear that it's not failure if you're not seeing the fruit. You don't make fruit grow on trees. That's the Holy Spirit's job. You obey God where he leads you. Our, our mission is, imp, is not impact, it is obedience. Amen? It's obedience, that's right. So we aim at obedience, not impact. But there's another aim that changes for us if we wanna live well missionally. We need to start aiming at all people, not our people. All people, not our people. Now Philip is such a, a great example of this. Let me show you what I mean. 
when we meet him at the beginning of chapter 8, do you remember what he's doing? Uh, we didn't read it this morning, but uh, verse 4 and 5 says this. Now, those who were being scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. So this is an easily overlooked point, but I just want to make this uh, real quick. This is a super important fact. This is a fact that would have offended the sensibilities of any God-fearing Jew in this. The Samaritans were not people you rolled with. The Samaritans were a group of people who were really largely despised by the Jews. They were, they were considered sort of like a mixed race of Jew and Gentile, kind of formed at the, uh, when the Assyrians conquered Israel in 722 BC. They brought some of their Gentile crew down uh, to Samaria, and they intermingled with the Jews, and so now sort of the cultural heritage is lost, the bloodline's lost, the theology gets all mixed up. And so Samaritans were off limits. If it was, uh, you know, if it was Harry Potter, they'd be the mudbloods. That's what, that's what these guys were to the Jews. They didn't like them, right? It was, uh, it was, they were damaged goods. And so for Philip, for, for the text to just casually say Philip rolled up into Samaria and then started preaching the gospel to him, this would have been utterly shocking to hear from a Jew. That, not those people, right? But then it gets more shocking if that wasn't enough where God takes him next is, is equally sort of offensive to the Jewish sensibility of the day. Uh, because the angel of the Lord said, to go from Samaria, right? Remember that? And, and he left, he went to the desert road, and then verse 27 said this, he, he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now this is a bit of a double whammy here, because now here we have somebody who's called an Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, so he's an Ethiopian, which means he's a Gentile. Now, this is a big deal, by itself, right? Again, the Old Testament, the, sort of the, the flavor of it is come and see, not go and tell. We have a group of people here, uh, the Jewish race, and this is where God is doing his work, right? And so for, for the gospel to be extended outside into the Gentile community, it wasn't a heard of, but it wasn't the play that God was running uh, at the time. Remember, this was the big issue in the book of Jonah. Jonah's big issue was not the Ninevites. Like, I thought, the, I thought mercy is for the Jews, but not... Not for them, right? So this is like a real live issue for the Jewish people. So, and this man was an Ethiopian. He was, a, he was a Gentile. But not only that, the text says he was a eunuch. Now, what is a eunuch? Hmm. Uh, how do you say this and not get fired? Okay, um, a eunuch is a man whose, um, wow, southern situation is not intact. Uh, and therefore... Uh, they were often put in servant roles within the courts of royalty, princesses and princes and kings and queens, because they weren't seen as a threat to the women who were there. Now, uh, that may seem like a, a, an insignificant and slightly weird fact for me to highlight this morning, uh, unless you were a Jew. Then it's not weird. Then it becomes a problem, because if you're a Jew, you know the law. And you know Deuteronomy. And you know that Deuteronomy 23.1 says, <clears throat> pardon me. <laughs> Just breathe, Jimmy. No one whose testicles are crushed <clears throat> or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Now, don't make that your life verse, okay? That's not. <laughs> but know that it's important. It's important 
uh, because it's telling us about who gets access to God. And it says that eunuchs don't have access to the assembly of the Lord. That's what it just said, okay? So why does Luke, do you start seeing, why does Luke include this fact about this Ethiopian being a eunuch and that Philip is about to come and bring the gospel to him? What is he trying to do? He's trying to say this to the church. There's a new play being run. There's a new play. The message of Jesus is for everyone. God has unlocked the door, thrown open the gates, and everyone through faith is welcome to come in to the fold. And so we don't get to pick and choose who we bring this news to anymore because God doesn't do that. He's opened the gates so that everybody who trusts in the Savior can come in, which means prejudice has no place in the mission. It has no more place in the mission. We don't get to decide, I feel comfortable with these people, so I'll talk to them, but I don't with these people, so I won't talk to them. We don't get to pick that anymore. It's for everyone. Johann Leonard Dober. Does that name ring any bells for anybody? Probably not. Uh, Johann Dober was a uh, Christian Moravian missionary. Uh, in the 1700s. And he went with the Moravian church uh, down to the Caribbean to St. Thomas Island to bring the gospel to them, to be a missionary down there. And when he got down there, uh, he realized pretty quickly he had two big problems. The first problem was this. He was white. And the people that he was going to minister to there and bring the gospel to were African slaves. And so he had a pigment problem, right? And uh, how do I connect with them? We're just not in the same ecosystem. How's that gonna work? The second problem was this. He was free and they were African slaves. So how do you get in their world? How do you break in and be able to share the gospel with them? He realized, well, I can't do anything about the first problem. I can't change my pigment, but I can do something about the second. And what Leonard Dober, what Johann Leonard Dober did was he indentured himself into slavery in seven-year increments to be chained to the people he wanted to reach. And to this day, the largest church on St. Thomas is a Moravian church because of his influence. Because he realized God has opened wide the doors and I don't get to pick anymore. The gospel, the good news is for every person. And that's our call. That's our call too, church. That we we don't get to be critical about who we dole out the the keys to heaven to. We don't get to pick and choose anymore. I I remember this week I was... um, I bumped into one of my favorite uh, people at Stonegate, uh, a lady named Debbie Allison. You guys probably know her. She's a sweetheart of a woman. I, I bumped into her and I asked her uh, how she was doing. She says, I'm doing great. I'm like, why are you doing great? She's like, well, I just got done picking up a homeless guy and driving him uh, across town to a shelter where he's going to get to hear about Jesus all week. So I'm on cloud nine. I'm like, that is so amazing that you would do that. And you totally don't look like a woman who would be picking up a homeless guy driving him across town. If you know Debbie, I mean, she's just a sweet, like, Older lady, just well-dressed, gray hair, just like, you're just like, are you picking up homeless men? And just, but she is. She was like, it was the highlight of my week. I'm so burdened, she said, for, for the homeless community. I want them to know Jesus. I mean, that man that she drove, she knows this, is gonna spend eternity somewhere. So she's like, sign me up, God. I wanna be part of the change. I wanna bring the news of Jesus into this man's world, and I love that. I think that's the posture that we need to have as the church, that, that we're, not, we're not just saying we're going to our people, we're going to all people. That is the message here. We don't aim at just our people, we aim at all people. That perspective has to change for us to live uh, vibrantly, missionally. You see that? Does that make sense? 
<coughs> but Philip shows us uh, something else. He doesn't just show us something about the, the aims of the mission, he shows us something about the intimacy of the mission. Now, what do I mean by uh, the intimacy of the mission? Well, two times uh, in the text, God actually speaks to Philip with instructions, like directly. He speaks through an angel in verse 26. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then he speaks again through his spirit in verse 29. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. After he sees the Ethiopian, the, the spirit of God tells him, go run up beside him, go join the chariot. Now the point here is not to get into a debate about does God speak audibly to people now or not. That's not, that's not the weeds that I want to get in right now with you. What I want to do is just highlight this point. Philip heard the voice. Not that something, someone was speaking, but that Philip heard. If you want to live on mission for God, you have to be able to hear the promptings of God. And to be sensitive to the promptings of God, you have to have intimacy with God. There's just no other way around it. And so often we want to put the cart before the horse and get, get hustling. And that's just not what the scripture is ever calling us to. This is a tough command for us because Americans by nature, we are distracted and we're busy. We're distracted. We just got stuff on the screen, stuff going right here. I, I feel it too. I'm just like some, always pulling for my attention, and we're busy. We're doers. We're just like, let me get out there with a the backhoe and get at it, right? I want to I work hard. That's, that's sort of like the American ethos, and, and that is going to set you back a ton if you're looking to live missionally for Christ because living missionally requires that you have deep fellowship and intimacy with God. And that doesn't come easy. It's slow and uncool and nothing seems to be happening. And it can feel like such a waste of time. Like just looking at my clock, what's going on? But you know what's interesting? Even the folks who've been the most, quote unquote, successful in bringing the gospel to a lost world, even, even the folks who've done living missionally really well, they know this is true. I watched a, a, a Billy Graham interview uh, years ago. This was Billy at 92, so toward the end of his life, and the interviewer asks him, if you could go back, would you do anything differently? Which is such a, I was so fascinated by what he was about to say. Yeah, this amazing career, I mean, he shared the gospel with millions and millions and millions of people. If you could go back, would you do anything differently? This is a quote from Billy in that interview. This is exactly what he said. He said, yes, I would. I would study more, pray more, travel less, take less speaking engagements. I took too many of them. If I had to do it over again, I'd spend more time in meditation and prayer and just telling the Lord how much I love him and adore him and looking forward to the time we're gonna be spending together for eternity. That's Billy Graham's wish at the end of his ministry that I spent more time with. I wanted to spend more time with him and I didn't spend as much as I wanted. He was saying, productivity was great, but intimacy is the thing that I treasure now. I see that was the, that was the key. And, and some of that I missed out on, and I wanna do it right. Mission is born from intimacy. I just want you to feel that. Like if you have a burden for the lost, I love that, that's great, it's important, but it's not enough for you to just get out there and hustle. You have to slow down and commune with the Father 
allow him to fill your heart with even more burden. Allow him to give you a sensitivity to know who am I to speak to, where am I to invest my time, and, and, and how, how is this gonna work on a daily? You have to have intimacy if you, want, if you want mission to work. So get to know him, make space for him. You'll be so much more fruitful on your mission if you hear his voice. But what about the message of the mission? We, uh, intimacy gets us to the table, but now we have something to communicate. What, is, what does Philip's story teach us about that? Two things I want you to see. Are we, are we hanging together? We okay? Point three? Okay, great. Two things I want you to see in the message of the mission. The first is this, uh, that Philip's message is Jesus. That's what his message is. Verse five, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. And then Luke doesn't even need to say it anymore. He's made his point. So when he gets to verse 40, he said he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea because he knows now that you know when he says gospel, when he says good news, he means the news about Jesus. If you get this wrong, it doesn't matter what else you get right. If you miss this, you are now tampering with the key that opens the door, and it will not turn the lock. So let me just be very clear here. The message of Jesus, the gospel, is not you doing nice things for people in Jesus' name. That's not the gospel. The gospel is words. He opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture. The gospel is not God has a wonderful plan for your life. He might. He very well might. Or you might get your head chopped off like Paul or crucified upside down like Peter, right? Depends on what you mean by wonderful life, right? The, the gospel is not believe in Jesus and he will prosper you and he will bless you and make your life picture perfect, health and wealth and wisdom. He might, that's true, or you might be making ends meet your whole life, right? You're just barely making it. You may have a sickness right now that's never gonna go away. The, none of those things are promised on this side of heaven. They might happen because our God's kind and he loves us and he's generous, but that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is this. You were made to enjoy God. That's why you exist. But you and I did exactly what our first parents did. We said, uninterested. We spurned God, just like Adam and Eve. And to this day, the thing that drives us in this life is me first. Not you, God, me. And that voice, that internal me on the throne-ness is called sin. It shows up in big, nasty ways. It shows up in very polite ways. But at the core, it's this. I love me, not him. And that deserves the death penalty because God made you. You are not your own creation. And instead of letting that wrath fall on mankind, which he would have been so right to do, he didn't send his wrath, he sent his son. Born of a woman, Jesus the Christ, born of a virgin, fully God, fully man, to come and live the life you couldn't die, the death that you deserve to die, absorbing God's wrath on your behalf. He went into the grave, 
rose three days later. He's now seated at the right hand of the Father and he's making his enemies his footstool. Jesus Christ has conquered death on behalf of everyone who would cast their lives on him. And so if you would cast your life on him, not look at yourself to make yourself better so that you could be okay with God, but you would look to Jesus and his payment for you. You can be his and you can get back to doing what you were made to do, which is to enjoy God forever without the obstacle of your guilt between you and him. That is the gospel with Jesus Christ as the dying and resurrected centerpiece of it all. And if Jesus is not the centerpiece of your gospel, you don't have the gospel. I don't know what you've been saying to people, but stop saying it, because it's not true. That is the message that Philip is bringing. And the additional thing we see in this text is not only does Philip know what the message is, but that he knows it like the back of his hand, and so should we. Now here's why I conclude that. Let's get caught up in our story. Ethiopian eunuch, the carriage, it's going down the road. The spirit says, hey, go run up next to that guy. Philip runs up to him, and he hears him reading from the prophet Isaiah, and he goes, hey, do you know what you're reading? And the guy goes, how can I know unless somebody explains it to me? And he invites him up into his carriage. So now it's Philip and the Ethiopian, and they're in the carriage, and they're riding. And verse 32 says this. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Here's what he was reading in Isaiah. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. Verse 34. And the Ethiopian and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask, does this prophet say this about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and went, oh, oh, um, Isaiah, 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 Isaiah. Do you know, um, do you know Psalm 23? No? Genesis 1? You got any of that in you? No? Okay. Dang. You know, this is so awkward because uh, I was actually sent here to talk to you right now, and I don't know this passage. Oh, um, you know, there is a town about two miles down that way, and if you go there, I am sure you're going to find somebody who can. Did he say any of that? No, he didn't. What does it say? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip was so acquainted, so familiar, so attuned to the message of the Bible that when the time came, he didn't have to punt. And he didn't have to give some pat answer. He didn't have to pass it off to somebody else who knows better. He could engage with that man right where he's at because he knew the word of God. Do you feel that? Do you want to be effective on mission? Then you master this book. I'm, I'm not saying you have to be a seminary professor. I'm just saying work, spend your life getting some facility with this book so that when the time comes, you don't always just have to run back to the same thing that you always run to to explain the gospel. You can meet a person where they're at and organically, naturally talk to them about Jesus. If you have facility with this book, it will make you more useful to the master. And yes, there is a category for that in the Bible. It's 2 Timothy, that we want to be useful vessels for the master. Work. We want to be like that. And the way we do that is we eat this book, okay? And uh, you will only be as helpful to the mission as you are prepared for the mission. That's, that's the reality, right? And to that, and let me just give a quick plug to our ladies in here. Uh, the, um, the women's ministry at Stonegate is, is launching the Ecclesiastes Bible study this week. This week? 
this week. So if you want to sign up, for, if, you're, if you're like, yeah, I'll take that seriously. I want to master this book. That's a great place to start. You can sign up this week. They start it, and uh, it's going to be amazing. Ecclesiastes is amazing. It's going to kick you in the teeth. It's going to be wonderful. So please uh, sign up for it. It'll be really helpful to you. We want to master this book because we understand that the message of the mission matters, and we want to have facility with it. Now, this can all feel overwhelming, right? There's a lot of like to-dos here, and it can feel like it's all on our shoulders. And so let me just end with this last thing. I want us to look at the master of the mission. That's where I want us to end. Because this can feel like a lot. But so let's, uh, let's step back for a moment, and let's just look at Philip's story real quick. Answer this question for me. Who was it who got Philip away from Jerusalem to Samaria? And, and who was it who had him head on the desert road down from Jerusalem to Gaza? And who was it who had him run up next to the Ethiopian's chariot? Can, can we just acknowledge, none of these were Philip's bright ideas. They didn't generate in his mind. They generated in the mind of God. This was God's plan to save this man. That was his plan. You are not the master of this mission for Jesus. Jesus is the master of his own mission. Thank you very much. He can handle it, and he cares about the lost world and your lost community way more than you do. And he happens to be sovereign, which means he can make things happen. And he does constantly. And that should give us a lot of pause and rest to be able to savor and appreciate that we don't have to make this thing happen. We just need to walk in faithful obedience and let the master do his work. I think uh, all the time about my neighbor. Uh, he moved in about 10 years ago, and uh, this guy doesn't know Jesus, doesn't want to know Jesus, but from day one, we discovered he is a, wait for it, a vintage left-handed guitar collector. Hmm, it's interesting that he just moved next door to a guy who spent his whole career playing left-handed guitars, right? And so like from day one, I'm at his house, we're playing music together. It was, it was so amazing. This guy's in his 70s and like we actually have something in common, like uh, us playing music together, the same instrument. It's, it, it's been amazing. Do you think that happened on accident? You think that, that guy showed up next door to me on accident? No. He's there because God cares about his soul, and he put him in close proximity to somebody who loves Jesus, knows the gospel, and loves this man. Now think about the people in your life. The folks, think about your one, right? The folks that are in your ecosystem that you have a burden to, to share the gospel with. You think they're there by accident? No. Think about all of the sovereign maneuvering of our God to get this person in close proximity to you, someone who has the hope of the gospel inside themselves. That is an amazing thing to think about. There is not a random act in this whole universe. God is doing something. He's putting people who need Jesus in close proximity to people who have Jesus. That's on purpose. So rest in this. The master of the mission is doing something. Let that free you up to take some risks, to be obedient. Let's walk and step with the Spirit, following Him, not impact, having intimacy with our God, knowing the message well, and trusting the master. That's the call from this text. Let's lean into it. Let's see more and more people come into the fold of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, the example of your word. We love you and are grateful 
uh, for Philip's story, and we pray that it's more and more our story. God, would you save many people through our obedience? And God, we know that anytime somebody comes to know you, it's ultimately through because of your obedience, Lord Jesus, to the Father. You purchased people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to be yours, and that gives us a lot of hope. You are the master of the mission, God. And so, God, uh, even right now, would you burden our hearts for, for those people in our life who don't know you and give us the courage, the desire, um, the eagerness to bring the hope of Jesus with them. We, we want to. We want to see them know you. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen.